everyone. Welcome back to Today in Tech. I'm Julia Beauchamp, and I'm here with Computer World senior writer Lucas Mirian, as well as Computer World executive editor Ken Mingus. We are live on YouTube as well as on Computer World's LinkedIn page. So if you have any questions or comments or personal experiences, I think those will be especially valuable towards the end of the show. Please let us know in the live chat or in the comments section. We definitely want to hear from you, and we'll also do our best to respond while we're actually live. So we've got two topics today. We're going to talk a little bit about the um, NVIDIA ARM deal, which is totally scrapped. And then a little bit about, you know, some technologies and products that are emerging to monitor remote employees and whether or not that's necessarily a good thing. But let's talk first about the ARM deal. So we talked last week, um, Ken, with Michael Simon, and we said, you know, this is probably, you know, going to be dead. It's now official. The deal is dead. Um, So... I guess, and Lucas, I might throw this to you since you've got an um, an article up on Computer World about it. What, you know, how do we get here and what does the sort of like future for ARM look like? Yeah, so first of all, this was an enormous deal, as you know. We're talking $40 billion. It was the largest in the chip industry, in the history of the chip industry. And they've been working on this deal since 2020, so over a year and a half. Um, I think what this this actually bodes well for the chip industry because there was a lot of pushback from the licensees of, of ARM-based uh, chips, uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Qualcomm, Samsung. A lot of these companies were nervous that the openness, because uh, I'm sort of the Switzerland of chip designers, they'll sell to anybody. Um, but once they're owned now by a graphics chip maker like NVIDIA, that might have closed up some. So I think overall, this bodes well for the industry as a whole. Now uh, ARM is going to be taken public, we're told, um, by SoftBank, uh, an investment firm. And uh, that, that, could go, that could go well for the industry. It could go bad for ARM. It could open the door for other chip designers. So it'll, it's going to be interesting to see. But for the industry as a whole, I think it's a good thing. You know, it's just interesting to see, as you said, Julia, just last week, you know, you, I, and Michael Simon were saying, there's no way this deal is going to go through. It's not going to, you know, I mean, this, this thing has been running into to headwinds just since it was announced. Yeah. And if you take note of the list of companies that Lucas just listed that work with ARM, there's a reason all of those companies did not want NVIDIA buying, you know, the company that, on which they base all of their chips. So it's, it's it, I mean, it's not a surprise. And of course there were regulatory issues globally, yeah. you know, this was was not going to fly. But I, I do think it was interesting, Lucas, you know, in the story that you've got in Computer World, you talk about how the fact that this particular deal fell through might, you know, uh, give a, a push to some of the other chip chip companies out there. I think, was it Risk? Risk five, yeah. Risk five, yeah. And and, and well, go ahead. You, you you wrote the story, so you you've got a better feel of it than I do. But it was interesting yeah. to see what that this might be really good for Risk five. Right. So Risk five is this consortium. It's an open source instruction set that allows its members and contributors to alter the architecture itself, allowing them to adapt it to a more diverse set of uses. Um, whereas ARM instruction set is proprietary. They allow you to add to it, but not to change the actual instruction set itself. So it's less open than uh, RISC-V, but ARM is obviously uh, has been adopted far more in a far bigger way uh, than RISC-V at this point. But RISC-V is, is getting a lot of uh, traction, especially with startups. But now 
with some of the larger uh, uh, stalwarts out there like um, Google, Qualcomm, Western Digital, and, and even NVIDIA are, are starting to use uh, the instruction sets to, to make their own chips. So I think that this bodes well for, for open source. It bodes well for uh, more freedom in the industry. And I think you're probably going to see, um, I, I think I, na I named a couple of companies. Um, Intel recently did a deal with RISC-V to start developing chips based on their instruction set. And Esperanto Industries, developer of this kind of high performance uh, artificial intelligence accelerator, signed a deal to start using Intel's foundries to start making chips based on RISC-V. So you're seeing a lot of traction. Uh, not as they're not there yet, but there's a groundswell forming. And it's interesting, and I, I know we're going to move on to a different topic, but real quick, you know, I think that what this does by with this deal falling apart is it gives the companies that do work with ARM, we're talking Microsoft, Apple, you know, other companies, a little more assurance that their internet intellectual property is not going to fall into a competitor's hands mm -hmm. and gives them a little bit of a, a clearer pathway to continue to uh, evolve what they do on top of the, uh, you know, on top of what ARM does. Mm -hmm. I, I do think this was a bit of a cloud that's been kind of hanging over the chip industry for about 18 months, even though everybody kind of thought, how is this going to work? NVIDIA said we'll wall it off, but nobody really thought that would be the case. So I, I think it, it, it brings some clarity in addition to what you're talking about with RISC-V and opens some doors for, for uh, innovation elsewhere. Yeah, and also um, ARM has been attempting to break into the uh, server, the um, server market, the data center market for some mm -hmm. time. They've had some traction, especially with cloud providers, but uh, RISC-V is also having some success there as well. Now, with, the, with ARM going public, uh, that is an avenue that they can focus on with the, the money that they're going to be garnering from the, uh, the public offering. Do we know when the IPO would be? I think it said something like the fiscal year 23 or 22? Yeah. 23 no, sounds year, right. 23. Yep. Uh, the, at the end of, of 2023. I think March, uh, March 31st. So yeah, sometime, March. sometime in the next year, even though yeah. it's fiscal year 23, it's actually a lot of calendar year 22 in the first quarter of 23. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. They, they haven't given any details about how the deal is going to be formed, but yeah, mm -hmm. that's, they did give that timeline. Okay. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. And to your point, Lucas, um, that is in your article that I did link in the live chat, if anyone's interested in reading it, um, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, a, a formidable competitor um, emerges because like you said, I mean, ARM has a pretty dominant market share for like what, yeah. it, what it does. So right. that'll be interesting. So I think we got a good recap there. Um, I'd like to move on now to our next topic, which is talking a little bit about, um, you know, some software, some platforms, products that have emerged to monitor remote employees. So obviously, a lot of employees are still working from home. A lot of enterprises, certainly here in the United States, um, are adopting at least hybrid models. You know, you got some people in the office, you got some people at home. Um, it's a very popular um, policy to allow remote work. But with that, that also means that, you know, you can't always be checking over the shoulder of your employees to see what they're accessing. And your those employees are not always necessarily on the corporate network. So there's one tool in particular, and Lucas, I'm going to throw this to you again, um, called the Island Browser. This is sort of, I think, indicative of perhaps a larger trend um, of the, the, these types of products. So can you speak just to what this specific browser is? 
Yeah, it's being called an enterprise, uh, yeah, enterprise browser. Um, and what that means is basically gives the uh, it gives IT administrators uh, some control over what sites you can enter, what data you can share, um, even down to something as granular as taking a screenshot. It can block that uh, if necessary. And the reason it's important now is, like you said, with a hybrid workforce working from home with the uh, adoption of more adoption of the cloud, companies are going to SaaS. And so they don't have a firewall necessarily. They don't have a physical data center where they can protect their business applications from prying eyes and from employees either intentionally or unintentionally sharing that data. And so what this browser does is it gives them um, a, a level of control that can be dialed up or dialed down and it does it at the entry point, at the browser, where they're going to get the information from the application, from the business application, whether it happens to be on-prem or from a SaaS provider. It's, it's kind of, I thought it was a really cool way of doing it. They're not the only one. They're the, they were actually the first in development, but another company called Talonworks uh, announced one back in October. So there's two now. So we've got a groundswell. We've got two of them. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, so there's two. It's, I think it's a great idea because it's less um, onerous. It's, it's less heavy handed than some of the firewalls that were, that were being used by companies out there that literally tracked everything. What would happen was they'd first see the traffic and the problem, then they'd have to discover whether this was a problem, and then they'd have to go back out and do something about that, or just block it all together. This one's cool in that it's based on Chromium, and so an employee can just download it to their computer like Zoom or, or any other application, it takes you know a minute to download, and then they can just use it as a Chrome browser. It looks no different, and it would do nothing until IT decides, okay, we're gonna have to restrict your use of this particular HR application or this particular uh, ERP application or CRM application, whatever it happens to be Salesforce. Um, and so when you go to try to access this online, we're going to have certain parameters that you aren't going to be allowed or are going to be allowed to use. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, to your earlier point, Juliet, about employee monitoring, you know, the browser, the, I think, based on what Lucas has reported, the idea behind this browser is not so much to actually actively watch what employees are doing, right? which is, you know, it's like it's employee monitoring adjacent, if you okay. will. Because, um, but I mean, there is a serious issue here because given the distributed workforces that we have now, the hybrid workplace, you know, IT has to figure out how best to keep track of where all that company data is going, where it's being stored, how it's being shared. And this is a, a, a sort of elegantly simple way to help do that because it basically keeps employees from doing something that they shouldn't do while they're surfing rather than as Lucas was just making the point, you know, you see some traffic and you've got to backtrack and try to figure out where's that traffic coming from? Where's that data going? Is it intentional? Is it, you know, and so it's a, it's a really interesting uh, tool for the toolbox, I guess is the way I would describe this. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to one user who's been uh, piloting this for uh, quite a while now, I think six, six or more months and they purchased, um, 4,000 seats uh, for the software, but they've only rolled it out to about 100 employees because they're, you know, they're being careful. They have uh, they have all the typical stuff, all the other firewall technology. But uh, the um, uh, chief information security officer absolutely loves this product, and he definitely wants to roll it out to the rest of the company because it's not so heavy-handed. 
it's easy, uh, it's fast and easy to use. Like I said, it's just a download. You don't have a server that's controlling it. And the employees don't feel like it's, it's as invasive as other control mechanisms, because like I said, you can use it just as a Chromium browser without you know, any uh, security whatsoever, or it might just, based on your role, secure some things like this particular business application, or it might just stop you from, say, uploading a document to the web. Something you know, as simple as that. It, it, it's interesting because, you know, with a browser, one of the big issues that has come up around employee monitoring and employee surveillance is that companies need to tell their employees what they're doing, totally. how they're watching you, you know, and that issue of like transparency and communication doesn't always work out. You know, companies just start rolling these, these sort of monitoring tools out and they're checking to see if you're on, on at your computer, if you're on Slack, if you're, you know, developing almost a profile of your work habits. Whereas with the browser here, you just do your work and basically you've got guardrails that the browser lets, lets IT put in place. You might not even ever bump up against those guardrails, mm -hmm. but when you do, the company knows that like, okay, you or knows enough or the browser knows enough to tell you, no, you can't do that. You know, I do, th I think it's fascinating that you can't even do a screenshot, Lucas. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's, I mean, that the browser could have that built in that you can't screen cap what's on, you know, what's in the browser. Yeah, so you've got a customer list that you happen to be in for whatever, for like Salesforce or something. And you try to take a screenshot of that and go, whoa, whoa, you don't have authorization to do that. You can't just be taking screenshots and sending that out to whoever. So it stops you from doing that. It's, it's that feel of not being super invasive, like not watching everything you're doing, but certain uh, functions uh, you're not supposed to be doing on this application. That's what it stops. Sure. I would, I would imagine that um, the CISO, for example, that you spoke to, Lucas, I don't know. I, there's obviously, you know, a cybersecurity case here and an enterprise security case. I think like at first glance and as, you know, taking the position of a potential employee, I do think I would be curious and I would probably think like, oh, OK, are they not going to know, you know, every time I spend five minutes scrolling on Twitter and are they going to know that, like, I just tried to make a dinner reservation <laughs> while I was at work? Um, right. And I would I would imagine that there's a real that there needs to be a balancing act between, you know, maintaining enterprise security, but also not infringing on employee privacy um, so they know at least what what can and can't be done yeah you're sort of oh go ahead lucas well i was going to say one of the one of the things they're looking at doing they haven't uh, uh island hasn't included in this yet and the user has not used yet is for contractors and uh consultants so third party uh non-full-time employees that's of the a good point who need access to what could be sensitive information. And like you said, I love the term guardrails, Ken. You know, there, there are certain guardrails they're gonna put up to not allow them to share this information outside of the company and only temporarily. So it's not it's not like a, a firewall that they're always bumping up against when they're trying to do their work. Yeah, I think what, I, I think what impressed me about this, is, and this goes back to what you were just saying, Juliet, that, you know, I think companies in 2022 most companies have come to realize that productivity does not necessarily mean that you're sitting in front of your computer 
from nine to five. You know, those mm-hmm. days have kind of fallen by the wayside. And so, you know, the idea that, okay, maybe you're checking Twitter, maybe you ordered food out for lunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think a company is probably less interested in that and more in, you know, are you actually accessing websites that could be dangerous to corporate sure. data and to what they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's what I like about this because it, it, it you're not telling the employees, we don't trust you. You're in some ways, you know, if this is rolled out right and communicated properly, you're telling employees, you know, we have certain standards that we have to meet, certain guidelines, rules, guardrails, whatever, and we're going to put those there. We're not doing this to like uh, try to restrict what you do, you know, around non-corporate stuff. We're not watching where you go. We're just keeping you from accessing sites that we have decided could be unsafe or, you know, or competitive or something like that. Yeah. And I would think, too, that there's a a regulation issue here, like, you know, privacy regulation, like a CCPA, GDPR. And, you know, to your point, Lucas, saying, you know, you can't take a screenshot of a customer list or um, a a user list. That is a big that's a big privacy no, no. So I can see the application in, in that sense. I think I just have sort of one more question on this topic. And I'm going to ask it to you, Ken, which is kind of, you know, in a time where, like I've mentioned, employees are working, you know, still working remotely or in a hybrid um, environment more than ever. It's a really desirable policy for employees that are perhaps looking for new jobs to be able to be fully or mostly remote. And I think similarly, there's I mean, there's also a talent shortage, you know, employees talent can really have their say. And I would imagine that a lot of talent is are, is coming into new jobs and saying, okay, I want to use XYZ device and I want, um, you know, these policies and I'm going to be using like, you know, this operating system, whatever it is. And how does something, I don't know, this is maybe just a rhetorical question, but it's, you know, how does, you know, forcing this sort of tool, this sort of, you know, quote unquote enterprise browser, I don't know, how does that, you know, bode for the employee. I guess this isn't just like a theoretical big question, but if you have any thoughts, I'm interested. Yeah, no, I, I I get what you're what you're talking about. One of the big issues that's come up as we've gotten into this new hybrid workforce, and as you know, we've gone through the, the great resignation where a lot of people are changing jobs, moving up, changing careers, whatever, is this whole idea of you want to keep your best and brightest, you want to hire the best and brightest. And a lot of forward-thinking companies are realizing that employee choice is is an important part of that mm-hmm. you know allowing employees again within the, the confines of what the company needs to you know to say well you know i'm happy to come work for you but you know i need a mac or i really want windows or i need my android phone or whatever and i you know i don't know that company that that people are approaching new jobs at companies with like their favorite browser in their back True. pocket you know, That's no, I'm, I mean, it, it, but it, I mean, you are getting to an important point, which is employee choice is, is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And and that again, you know, to go back to it, sort of what I had said earlier, I think the important thing about this particular about Island Browser is it doesn't feel like it's a restriction on you. I mean, it keeps you from doing some things, but, it, it you know, now if somebody really wants to come in and insist that they've got to use Safari, <laughs> or, you know, they can't possibly do their job without Firefox. IE. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, IE or Edge. They're going to have a pretty hard case to make, you know. And I think and, and I think IT would have a very solid response in saying, look, you know, 
we can work with you on different hardware, uh, laptops, phones, whatever. But when it comes to how we do our work, our job with browsers, we need to have this browser in place. And, you know, this is something you're right that, you know, I can see for financial services industries, healthcare industries, the kind of industries that have certain, that are heavily regulated. And this is a way of sort of, you know, applying a patina of regulation over your browsing while protecting, you know, the company data. Right. Yeah, it's one of the things that the CISO I talked to about uh, this product that he's piloting right now, he said he's had absolutely no pushback whatsoever from end users. I, want, I just want to read you one quote real quick. All right. He said, we can put this browser on your desktop and it's kind of just there. Try it out. Use it. Get used to it. Let us know if there's any blatant anything blatantly missing. Now try Salesforce through this. Can you use Salesforce or Workday through it? You good? Awesome. Now I'm going to enforce some rules and you can only use this browser for that. So it's it's as simple as it's been as simple as that. He says, here, here's a Chromium browser. Check it out. Try it out. No restrictions whatsoever. Is it working? Okay, now try the business application with it. Is that working? Are you cool with that? So you can roll it out incrementally and then dial up the security you need. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested to see how, you know, this tool specifically, but other tools in general, um, what what more rolls out because now really is obviously the perfect time to be rolling out anything. Um, I mean, especially remote security related. But um, just to plug a previous video that we've done, I actually sort of on the topic of like remote work and security did a video uh, in maybe December before the new year um, with one of the um, CSO editors in the UK talking about VPN alternatives. And that was also a really interesting approach. Um, there were some interesting points there about making sure that your employees who are working remotely are accessing, you know, the corporate network and accessing secure data securely. <laughs> so I'll link that in the description for anyone who is interested. Um, otherwise, thank you both so much for uh, calling in and chatting about these two topics. I think there's some really interesting info here. Certainly more in the future to talk about on the ARM front and on the rem you know remote monitoring tool front. I'm sure there will also be more to talk about because yeah. things will roll out. So thank you both so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And thank you all so much for watching this episode of Today in Tech. If you liked this video, you can give this video a thumbs up. And if you were watching over on LinkedIn, you can head over to our YouTube channel, IDG Tech Talk. And like the video over there, you can subscribe to our channel and hit the bell icon so you're notified every single time we post a new video. If you're watching this after it's been live or if you were tuning in while it was live and you just didn't get to make your point, please do let us know in the comments below and I'll do my very best to get back to you. I'd especially like to hear anyone's, you know, firsthand experience using um, a remote monitoring tool or a, sure, let's call it a remote monitoring tool <laughs> and uh, using the Island browsers as an example. So thank you all so much for watching and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.